Welcome to On Living, the Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Hello again to all of you from Brooklyn in New York. I am very glad that you're joining me again today. Very glad, at least um, for this moment, to be alive and to have a chance once again to connect with you and to really talk. Um, today, we're going to continue the conversation with my guest, Julian, who joined us last week. And we were so pressed for time. So it's very fortunate that we have another hour together. Now, to bring you up to uh, speed, uh, Julian worked with me uh, about 16 years ago, for about six years, to deal with the legacy of his extensive and deep psychological trauma. And he and I have kept in touch since then, therefore really allowing me the gift, the tremendous gift, you know, of knowing about the transformations that he has made in his life since we ended treatment, to allow me to learn about the efforts and gains that he has made on his own in the project of reclaiming his mind, his self, his humanity after the years of being abused and after years of being persecuted and silenced and then living at the margins uh, of American society as an immigrant. Quickly, this is the story again. Julian was born in Argentina and grew up in a rural area. He uh, was very intelligent as a boy and sensitive and a lover of arts and language and gay. His parents were not very much educated. They were of the religious kind and very alienated by their son. So there was much violence um, on their part as I think part of an effort to reform, to correct his nature. In mid-childhood, Julian was raped by an older cousin and the abuse went on for many years, um, unspoken of and undiscovered. In adolescence, he was then raped again by a neighbor, and the abuse went on for a few more years until he ran away from home uh, to live with a Catholic community, where he enjoyed much, uh, I think, of a sense of protection and uh, communion, but was terrified of being exposed for his sexuality. So the prize was to go deeper into the closet. When he left that community and came to Buenos Aires, he fell in with, uh, into an affair with a police officer who then proceeded to entrap him and um, pawned him or pimped him out for sex to powerful closeted gay officials in the government. I think Julian was essentially enslaved in that situation because his person, his lover, pimp, whatever he was, had locked away all his identity papers and uh, most of all threatened to expose his homosexuality. So that went on for a few more years and Julian was finally compelled to escape um, and leave Argentina when the news came that one of the most powerful men that he was servicing uh, felt under threat of exposure and was going to send people to eliminate the incriminating evidence, meaning Julian himself. So that was how he came to New York City 
where he lived in the shadow as an illegal immigrant for many years after his visa expired. A very common story, by the way. And that is uh, that was how I met him. Throughout our work together, Julian would compare himself to a phoenix, constantly raising himself from the ashes, or to a superhuman god who was uh, immune to the blows and concerns of ordinary mortal folks, and then to a broken vase. Um, And then finally, when he called me a few years ago, he said, I feel human. I'm one human. (laughs) And when I talked to him about doing um, this show, he said, I now know that I am human. Um, And I I thought, you know, well, I would like to find out more uh, what that means and about that process. Um, I want, and I... This is something that Julian said to me as part of our conversation that I want to share with you. Uh, He said, you know, for me, the point is to understand that shit happened, the violence and the abuse. But on top of what happens, we create more shit that makes us feel even worse and cripple us even further. He said, I cannot change the shit that happened But for sure, I can try to stop feeling unworthy, guilty, and ashamed, and whatever. And even more, I can stop giving away my power by empowering those abusers through resentment and hate. Um, So that really captures uh, a a really heart-won and beautiful process. And uh, here we are. Uh, Julian has agreed to join in again to share with us how he dealt with the shit (laughs) and turned it into manure. Um, Julian, good morning. Welcome back. Hi, Hi again. Hi. Uh, Hi again. Yeah, you know, the consistent feedback I got from last week was that my questions were just so so broad that it didn't really, I just kind of really left you out at sea, you know, <laughs> to pull the threats together. So I was told that, you know, make it more concrete or specific. Um, so I want to pick up where we left off, which was when I asked you uh, about what was the deepest injury, you know, of all this crap, all these, this violence that you went through. And you said to me, the silence. So I want to f- know more about that. Okay. So yeah. what- Tell tell us about the silence when you were a child, when you would be violated as just a kid. What was that like? What was the silence? Uh, the silence was that I didn't know what was going on. You know, I was eight or nine years old, and I had this guy on top of me, which was my best friend or the, the guy, you know, the guy that I admired the most. I don't want to play He was with older, him, right? He was, he was about he was six years older. He was older than me. Yeah. Okay. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't know, you know, when you have a penis on, <laughs> on front of you with hair and everything, uh, you know, and you are a child, you don't even know how it looks like. You know, I have mm-hmm. never seen my parents naked. I didn't know what sex was. So... I didn't know that I was having sex or I was being abused or in, in any way. I thought it was a very uncomfortable game, but I didn't mm-hmm. know. And I never knew. I Ever. didn't know until, uh-huh. you know, I ne- no, I didn't. I find out a lot, a lot, a lot later, you know, uh, when I was 12, because we had a sex ed education in school and 
because I comment this event to a friend of mine, and and he ran away screaming, "You're gay!" You know, "You're gay!" And mm-hmm. you know, she said he, he didn't say you're gay. She said you're a faggot. And then you know, and I realized then that something was wrong. I kind of suspected that something was wrong because my cousins say, "Don't tell this to anyone." Mm-hmm. So it was that like a secret, and at the same time, it was I kind of know there was something was wrong. I got the idea, and many years into therapy later, you know, probably not long ago, um, I realized that I did tell my mother. And and I remember because my mom wasn't um, very fond to hug us, and my mom never hugged me a lot, you know. I mm-hmm. hugged her, and I remember that she hugged me, and she cried. And I remember, because I remember the room, and remember what was going on. So, and so... And then I realized, oh, I did say something, but no one, no one said anything. So that was the silence. You know, it was the silence not only on my part, which I had my own mind to deal with, but right. you know, I grew up in a very small town where everybody knows everybody's life. The gossip is the national sport. So mm-hmm. you know absolutely what's going on with every single one of your neighbors. And... How come no one have said or done anything? So how did you how did you understand, Julian? How did you understand? What do you make sense of their silence? Their silence was, you know, oh, the kid is gay, and you know he's acting gay out his homosexuality, and you know that's shameful, and we're not going to say anything. You know, and, and I, my parents didn't say anything because they didn't want, they didn't want to destroy the family. Um, because, you know, it was my mm-hmm. family member and whatever, you know. And it also, they didn't want to realize, you know, my mother is still, until recently, uh, secretly wishes that I will, you know, that my homosexuality will go away, I will get married and have kids. Mm-hmm, she mm-hmm, told me. Right. So, so you did know, you, and, and that continued throughout when your neighbor then got in on the party, so to speak. And by yeah. then, did you have the words for what was happening? Because you were a teenager by that second I, round. I knew, I you know, as smart as I was, <laughs> um, I didn't know that it was that was homosexuality. I couldn't put the name of it. I knew there was something bad or wrong or a scene or something like that. And I always struggled with, you know, and, and I started <clears throat> being part of a group. And, you know, and I told many priests because I confessed. So, you know, they knew. Mm-hmm. And again, the silence, no one said, there is nothing wrong with you. You should talk to somebody. You should do this or that. Nobody gave me a piece of advice over education on how to feel and how to deal with it. I was left to feel guilty. I had this huge amount of guilt that I was doing something so bad and so wrong. And mm-hmm. no one said anything. There was no explanation. There was no, you know, it was just me. 
And mm-hmm. I, I, I only felt, you know, that, uh, you know, I felt guilt, shame, you know, and mm-hmm. I was so covered with shame that I couldn't see further. And I didn't, I couldn't explain my feelings, you know, all the amount of feelings that I had. I didn't know that I was having anxiety. I didn't know uh, that I was, you know, acting, you know, self-destroying myself. I didn't, I didn't have words for it. Yeah. By the way, I would say that it was because everyone around you was silent. It was because of that, that silence that you came to feel ashamed and guilty. You know, I, just from my experience, guilt and shame are very convenient and powerful organizing storylines, right? We go yeah. there to explain what happens to us. And, and paradoxically, you know, guilt gives us a sense of control, right? It's my fault. It's my doing. You know, it's because of me that it's like this. Because therefore, it's because of me, therefore, there's something I can do about it. If I, if I pray harder, if I walk differently, if I work harder, you know, <laughs> if I'm better, then the whole thing would be restored. So now, yeah. about a third uh, round, when you were a grown man and you were kept, and by the way, you know, you and I, we never talked much about that part. We never did about a part where you were basically blackmailed and enslaved. Because I realize now in thinking back about why we didn't really unpack that, I feel like, oh, by that time, it's like, (laughs) right? It's like, whatever. Uh, I mean, tell me a little bit about that, about the silence. Yeah, I was telling my best friend when he came, I told him the whole story. Because he's my best friend, and and I knew that he kind of knew something. But, you know, I never had a chance to the whole story to him and when I mm-hmm. told him and I said you know what why when that happened after the period that I was away and living this surreal experience of love and discovering that God you know loves everyone and doesn't matter what that I had you know and these various religious uh, you know organizations that I participated on <clears throat> They offered me to go to Rome and, and, you know, study art in Italy. And I say no. And I say no because I knew that I was gay and I didn't want to destroy them with my my sickness. You know, I thought that, you know, the church had enough cancer inside and me, I would contribute to that. So I I, I declined the offer to go to Europe. Uh, But when I came back, this happened. What happened is was, you know, I couldn't resist my sexual urges, you know, from being abused to don't have absolutely nothing to do with sex and in between, more or less. And then, you know, I needed to express it. So I discovered that it was kind of like, yes, um, my I didn't have documents, so I couldn't leave <laughs> anywhere. Um, and then... And I felt like I couldn't leave, you know. I, it was more inside my mind. I could have left anyway um, and figure out, which I did at the last minute. Um, but it was more, it was convenient. It was convenient for me to express all that anguish and to finally punish myself, you know. I was in very, very terrible situations. I remember a guy and I felt that he would kill me. And we went to a very, very far away in his car. And, you know, supposedly to have sex in one of these 
situations, and the guy pulled a gun on my head. And I had to resort to all kind of tricks to make fun of it and to, you know, I, I, I don't know how I got out of way, but I was left m- many miles away from home and, you know, alive, and I walk back to the city. So, <clears throat> but I did it, I think, because it was the perfect excuse to express my sexuality. Yes, I was kind of forced to do it, but at the same time, I was exploring what was going on with me, what was to be homosexual. I had a chance to talk to other prostitutes. I saw them being, you know, move, you know, disappear. I was talking to a guy that he also was working on the street, and he told me, Julian, you're a big shit because you are dealing with so-and-so. And I said, what, do you know him? I said, of course, everybody knows him. <laughs> so I said, what? And he mm-hmm. told me the stories how the girls were killed and, you know, and how they were trafficked through Mendoza and going to Chile and flying to Europe and all over the world. So, you know, I was in the midst of, like, a huge human trafficking. And I had a chance to talk to those prostitutes and to hear their stories and to see that they were humans. I think that kind of stayed because I discovered that they were humans that they were um, beautiful people. And it made me feel that I, I had something good inside myself because everyone couldn't see them for who they really are. They only saw that they were, you know, sexual workers or whatever, but, but I saw them. And I guess that, that it was a way to see me through them. And I think that that was, I don't know, that's how I'm intellectualized now, uh, you know, I, well, I that's you're saying. That. You, you're saying that that was your way of the only way you had of taking control, of expressing, as you said, expressing your sexuality and of turning, you know, a terrible victimhood into yeah. something that you thought or felt was more creative and more in control. Um, we are coming up. I was for terrified it, that anyone will know about this. You know, it was terrified. I terrified. Yeah. I was, I was like, I, 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 I remember my heart beating so hard that it will escape out of my body because, right. I, you know, if someone will see me, but at the same time, I was in the middle of the street, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was so bizarre, you know, how, how can you, you know, I don't know, I, I, don't, Julian, I guess like I have um, let me interrupt here because it's the dreadful commercial break, uh, Well, when we come back, I I want to engage with you in this other question. Throughout all of this, I so want to know, you know, what did you find out about people or about yourself that is still difficult for you to this day, you know, to digest? Because you you travel to the deepest, furthest reaches of what mankind can do. (laughs) to one another you know and and so what did you find out okay um so i want i want us to reflect on that and then um we're just going to go to commercial now okay the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? 
Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. All right, we are back with Julian. Before we left uh, for the break, I asked a question about the unbearable knowledge that we, each of us, has to carry when we go through something life-transforming. So, Julian, what have you been left with? What are you still carrying of what you know that's difficult still? What is difficult is to trust. Um, but I'm getting a lot, you know, will be like the notion of love, I guess, what love is. Um, you still trying to figure that out? Oh, definitely. I think like, <laughs> <laughs> I will spend the rest of my life trying to figure that out. Uh, but, um, probably ca- I should cancel that. Maybe I will figure it out sooner than that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, but, um, but it's not as terrible as it sounds, you know. It is a challenge for me, but, you know, um, when I got to know what was going on, I started investigating about cases, and it was very bleak, the future for me. I read many articles and say, you know, someone who, would my, someone who has been raped once has a, you know, very... Julia, let, let me just, I'm sorry to, to be so rude, but let me get straight to the point. Did you feel... 
Or did you think, did you know, did you feel that your parents didn't love you? And was that difficult to know about? Where the hell were um, they? What did they do? Honestly, I didn't feel anything. They didn't, didn't exist? No, In that your was mind? my reality. They didn't, you know, they were like people, like regular people. I was, I guess, very sensitive when I was a kid. So they punished me probably a lot, too much, or for reasons that I couldn't understand. And I took it, for me, it was like excruciating. <clears throat> so, you know, putting in perspective, yeah, I just shouldn't have done some things, um, some things that, you know, but they're good people, you know. I don't have did you did you hate them, them then? I, I can hear you struggle with this notion of of love. So let me just flip and ask. I hated them and then, but I ha- I like them now. <laughs> I I cannot put it that way. I think I I don't know what love is, so I think I love them. In English, love is a, such a easy word to say because you can love a dog and you love your car. So That's I true. use the word love. But, uh, but, you know, but in Spanish, I don't know if I can say the same, but I like What, what is the I, word I, in I, Spanish that you can't grapple amor. with? Amor. No, amor? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Doesn't so, it have, it's very close to the soul. Alma, amor. Um, no, it's like, uh, it's a different idea, but, you know, you know. I, it is, it is, I don't know, the words are, the words and, and, and languages about love are so, um, you know, I will use the, the, the term philia, which is in Greek, means a different mm-hmm. kind of love that you have for your parents, which is mm-hmm. different than agape and is different than, you know, eros. And, you know, and I always use that I have philia for them, like Philadelphia, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. I have this, this sense of, you know, I understand them, I respect them. And I, I like to be around them, that they're funny and they're great people and they did the best they could. But I don't know what love is, so I cannot tell you that, you know, that. But I have that for them now and it's great and it's fine and, they, and they're okay with it and I am perfect with it. And I'm, did you, you come know. out to them? Did you ever come out to them with your sexuality yeah, yeah, or yeah, your definitely. abuse? Yes, 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 yes. And I've been the great help because my brother is also gay. So, um... And, you know, he tried to commit suicide many times. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we, he, they have to deal with that. And I, I basically, I was helping them and guiding them and how to deal with the feelings and what being a mm. homosexualist and everything. So I was, you know, I couldn't stay victim for so long because I had, you know, I had to play the role in saving, in helping my brother and them. So, right. you know, and then... So you know, that's, that's, that's what um, your parents now exist in your heart, in your mind, as these likable, regular, lovable people. What about yeah, the people who raped you? What about lot, your yeah. cousin? What about your cousin and your neighbor, for example? Who are they in your mind now? Uh, <clears throat> Do you hate there them? There are people that... Uh, I couldn't elaborate a feeling. I'll put a name to the feelings that I had for them because I've been too busy dealing with other things. <laughs> so they were like just the memory and always, but you know, um, they don't, you know, they don't play the specific role 
And when I had the opportunity to, you know, in front of the home, my family through WhatsApp to say, listen, this is what happened because my, my cousin was being very homophobic and, you know, he's very, you know, far right and racist. So, uh, and I, you know, I was very aggravated and very angry and I had the opportunity to say, you know, I say to him, you know, why, how come the most, the ones who had the most to hide is the one who is the, the biggest bully. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I say, you know, watch out what you're saying because, you know, it's, it's not, um, you know, so I'm why, gay why didn't and that you out him? Why didn't you expose him and seek revenge? Would that have because, um, restored you to some sense of fairness? Because I had all the power and I could have destroyed him and his family and his kids. His wife and I could have destroyed his entire life. And yes, but yes. my my aunt is the only aunt, you know, one of my aunts. Uh, and and you know, I she's almost ninety and eighty something. And then you know, I said, why am I going to ruin her her last days once? And so then I understood my why my parents didn't say anything. Somehow, uh, is a completely different <laughs> four level. And then I say, I want to be free of him. I don't want to have hate for him. I don't want, if I, he, I put him out, I will go to Argentina and I will confront my whole family in the big family reunion and I will have this sense of power and I will be different and I will be the one. No, I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to have that. I didn't win. You know, I knew that if I outed him, I will lose because he will forever have control over me. So instead, I took a, you know, I thought about it. And I had, I remember I having my, my fingers and I had the answer written in WhatsApp. And I say, no, you know what? I'm not going to let him go. He's not going to win. You know? And then I say, I want to go back and to, and I think I wrote this to you. I want to go back to him and ask him what happened to you. Hmm. Because... He was a teenager, and yeah. if he was abusing other kids, it's because probably he was abused. And then peace came, and I felt much better. I said, wow. You know, so what happened to him? What happened to my mother that she didn't say anything? What happened to my, uh, my aunt that she didn't say anything while mm-hmm. she knew? You know, mm-hmm. what happened mm-hmm. to my father? What happened to them? What was their trauma? What right. They were victim, who, what they were victim of, because I was a victim and I had the power to revenge myself. But I, will, I realized that I will not fix the problem. I wanted more to go there and have this conversation with him. Said, Look, this is my story. You're part of it. Now I understand. Tell me your story. If he accepts and he tell me, oh, this happened to me, it would be great because I will know something and I will be able to, you know, have a different relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julian, know, what, what you have just his- said is, uh, I really thank you for saying that, to, to, to hand us the question when we encounter, you know, something violent and hateful and incomprehensible, the question of what happened to you. It's, it's simple, but it's so profound. You are saying that when 
you, when a person hates, you know, or, or commits violence, he's revealing something of his darkness, of his trauma, of his silence, right? So instead yes. of, of, of taking revenge or asking why you're doing this, the deeper question of what happened to you is making connection with that wound and transforming the encounter in, a, in into a, another direction. And I, I hear, you know, all these mass shootings and every time behind it is a lonely, lonely boy. Not yep. a terrorist, you know, but a lonely boy. So what happened to you is a very, very important question. Um, what would you say now if somebody asked you that question? Two sentences. What, what happened? happened to you, Julian? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what would be your story now? Well, what happened to me is that I was victimized, that I was a victim, and I realized that one thing is to be, had been victimized, and another thing is to stay a victim. So for me, the biggest discovery was to to realize the time difference, <laughs> you know, that that happened, yes. But I, I didn't have, I don't have to keep acting out like a victim. I don't have to keep the guilt and the shame on myself because, you know, it took me a while to, to find and figure out and I had to do a lot of work on myself in order to realize, see the difference from being a victim, being victimized and to act as a victim the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I don't think that people really understand that um, people, you know, survivors of any kind, you know, they're acting out constantly the same old disc. It's the same music, the background, you know, it's the same disc that plays again and again and again every single time an emotion hits them. Right. And, you know, it's very hard to overcome. You know, it's like a cool. You, you recently pain. developed a series of workshops um, in New York City, at least it's starting out. I think you're taking it uh, to the tri state area. That was very, very successful about working with, with darkness. Is that, does that series come from this work that you did for yourself, on yourself, about yes. going from victim to human? Yes, because about I, how to deal I, with all those dark feelings? Yes, 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 yes. Because I discovered that um, it was something in my mind that was doing the thing. You know, I couldn't, mm-hmm. uh, for example, I couldn't ask for a payment to clients. And I remember yeah. Marco, my business partner, would say, say, why? You did the work. Go and ask them for the check. I will sweat and I will shake. And, and he saw, I remember that through his eyes I discovered it. Because he saw that I was terrified. And I saw his face of surprise. Why your? This is your money. You already did. You have to ask for the check. And I couldn't. You know, I was. It was difficult for me to claim what it was mine. And, and and you know, while I saw him, I said, "Oh, I have a problem." Anyway, so through discovery, I had this. I, I discovered that my mind was playing uh, this disc like a program, a running program. And I learned a technique how to change the programs, you know, mm-hmm. in my mind. So, and I did it for two years, two long years. Um, it was through discovery, I think I told you, um, you know, I had this depression since I was a kid. 
and I was always in bed, blah, 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 and then I needed two, three days, and then I went back to normal. And a friend of mine who was visiting for Ukraine with a doctor, she said, that's not depression, that's a belief. And I said, what is a belief? I don't believe in anything. And he said, no, belief is a program in your brain. So he put me in contact, with, you know, he found out a number, I called the number, I did this session over the phone for three hours, and, you know, I discovered during the session that this depression was a way to, to connect with my parents. That, you know, that when I was a kid, it was so very cold. My parents used to put this heavy blanket on me and I couldn't move. And they take care of me when I had a flu or whatever. So my mind was putting me in bed for two, three days in order to remember the care of my parents. When I saw it, I was, wow. I, I saw, oh, my God. And, that, and like that, you know, and the depression went away and never came back ever again. I never had depression and never stay in bed for anything unless I want to. So um, I said, wow, what a powerful mind. And then I realized with my trauma, with my life, I said, how, how many programs probably I have. So I started working on them. And then later on, I discovered that, yeah, the program, they were not there. But the emotion is still there. You know, I still feel the shame and I still feel the guilt and I still feel... And I was investigating and I couldn't find anything to help with the emotions. I say, emotions are quick and fast. So the solution has to be quick and fast. And I, I start experimenting and then I realized through art, because art basically, the, the power of art is that it gives you emotion, you you hear a sad song in any language and you feel the sadness, doesn't matter where you are in the world. And if you, even you don't understand the lyrics. And I said, wow, emotions are universal. Anyway, so I discovered that a technique that I created where okay. I can, you know, hold bring on, the Julian. emotion back. Hold, hold off yeah. on that. Hold, hold off on that. Let's, let's do a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> because I have to go to the freaking commercial break. When we come back, you can pick up from here and tell us about this thing that you have discovered. Okay? Okay. We'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. 
Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. All right, we're back with Julian, who will now uh, be able to finish his sentence. <laughs> tell I wanted to tell say us. something. The working, um, working raise, with emotions. Yes, but I want to say something. Uh, for people who listen, it's not that you cut me off. It's because we are not seeing each other. We are over the phone. So mm-hmm. when you are in the real radio, there is a light blinking that is telling you that you're going to go to commercials that uh, we don't see the light blinking. <laughs> so, Thank you, Julia. It's very kind of you to tell people that I'm not this rude, you know, uh, <laughs> bitchy person. Okay, now get going. <laughs> tell us. <laughs> so give give the us the work. Is, the thing is, like, I discovered that emotions are first and thoughts are after, basically. So we feel, we feel first, well, then we think, then we are, you know, paraphrasing the card, you know, and, and you know, it's not... We don't think first and then we are. We feel first. So I, if I take the emotion out of the question, if I understand what the emotion means and what is the benefit of the emotion, for example, when you envy, if you imagine who you envy in your life, if you see it, you will see it clearly. You mind, they say, who did you envy? And you will remember the kid in the school, the girl, whatever. And they say, feel the envy. You're going to feel it again. It's inside you. And when you see it, and I will ask you, how does it benefit to envy? And every single person I have done this would say, it wants to make me move forward. It wants me want to make me do things. So my discovery was that envy, which is a capital thing, it's a horrible thing, and you shouldn't envy and blah, 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 is it's just a part of our instinct. It's our part. Our brain thinks that to envy is a way to move forward. It's a way to progress and to, you know, to do things. So my workshop is called Illuminating the Dark Side. Is because I bring forward why we blame, why we, we kill, why, why killers kill, why, you know, this mass shooting, why people envy, why we... We blame others why we feel guilty, why everything. You know, absolutely mm-hmm. every single th- emotion and things that we do, I put it on the front. And we feel it in the workshop, and then we discover how that's the benefit of how our mind thinks it's good for us. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, 
you get into the kindness because you realize, ah, that's why others envy me. I can feel their envy. And I see they treat me different. But because in their brain, they're looking for progress. And then you stop having this feeling about them and about you. And suddenly you don't envy anymore because we will change it and say, oh, would you like to know that it's possible for you to have progress and to progress in your life without having to envy? So you don't and feel anything, in, you don't feel the envy or the hate anymore. What is left then for you to work with, to live okay. with? But you don't feel the is it creativity? The, is it is it hope? Is it love? Yeah, because you you yeah because you get for example, um, uh, hate is related to perfection. But you know, I wrote a whole book about it. So uh, for, for every single thing, what it means, where it comes from, and how to use it, and I basically it's a workshop. So you experience it and you see your answers. You know why we blame others when we're kids. We are afraid of hurt, right? So, and we want to feel superior. So, people who blame others want to feel superior because they feel inferior, <laughs> you know. And then we, you know, I work in superiority, inferiority, and you know, to protection. It's always mm-hmm. some way to protect and to progress in ourselves. Our brain does that in a way of, you know, achieve something good for us, but it's mistaken because you know we can do it another way. So. Would you like to know that you can feel equal to others and then you are equal to others and that you are worthy of attention without having to blame others, without having to, you know, minimize others? You know, without violence, then, without resorting without to violence. Without violence, without bullying, you know, and stuff. So my workshop mm-hmm. talks about bullying. We are bringing it to schools, to kids. And we have a manual for parents that we're going to do in Connecticut, which is teaching, mm-hmm. you know, how to deal with the ego, which is that's what all of this is, you know, and how to, you know, what is your role as a parent is just to train these kids these things, you know, tell them, look, when you feel this, you don't have to use it that way. You don't need to envy in order to, to want things. You can just want it. Mm-hmm. You don't need mm-hmm. to envy another person because they have a Ferrari. You can just wish the Ferrari without having to envy. It's shorter, it's faster, it's more efficient to want it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you discover why your mind is doing it, the feeling doesn't repeat because you have show and most efficient way for your brain to help you. And you but have I a think lot also your what your technique also helps arm the kids, you know, against all the shaming and all the bullshit, you know, that socialization that society puts on us when we feel things such as wanting or fearing, or anything. There is so much clutter and noise around emotions. Yeah. You know, a lot of myths yeah, that we are, that we absorb when we grow up. So you want, say just want, want just feel, and figure out what to do with it to go forward uh, is simple, but a, a very uh, powerful protection. Yes, because by the ideas we would teach, you know, how, why the bully is being a bully. And when mm-hmm. you have the knowledge, when you know you know, a kid is so, like, I, we do it with kids, and the kids get it faster than adults, you know, and they say, oh, that's why they're doing it. Yes, and when you feel that you want to bully another one, it's because your ego, one part of yourself, feels inferior. So check yeah. it out. And, you know, it's okay. very empowering, you know, to do, you know, to see, you know, if I knew this when I was a kid, I would understand a lot of things, you know, or oh, being a victim, you know, being a victim is also a construction 
And many so, Julian, do I, you the, what's the name of the workshop? How do people find out about this? Well, they can go to my website, which is theactivationtechnique.com, and it's being updated with the new things and the new programs. Okay. Um, and I call it that a long time ago, but, you know. And the, the workshop is called Illuminating the Dark Side. And the first part is four workshops, different workshops. The first one is value. It's about worthiness issues. You know, why mm-hmm. we feel unworthy, why we feel that we don't matter. And they we deal with victim, with sacrifice, with, you know, being liked or not liked, with bullying, with racial uh, issues, okay. with, you know, disabilities and all the stuff. You know, we understand all of those things. And we so the website, say again, is activation what? Technique.com. .com. I remember back in May, uh, last month or something, you were conducting a whole series on, in, in, in New York City, and you said to me, you know, Leanne, you should come. It would be very interesting for you, uh, a therapist, you know, to come and, and, and do the work. And I just laughed. I said, you do not ask a therapist to come to a workshop to work on herself emotionally. <laughs> Why do you think I became a therapist? <laughs> To hide from my emotions, yeah. damn it. <laughs> the thing is, like, but, <laughs> it's so different than, than therapy, but at the same time, because I don't ask you to tell me anything. I just ask yeah. you to imagine and to feel it and to find how that has served you in your life so you can you don't need to do it anymore. You don't right. have to open your mouth in a session and with, uh, say, you know, in the, in, <laughs> while you're doing the workshop. You're not going to be keen friends of the other people. We don't exchange emails. Not not right. It's right. just you do it and we and you go, and um <laughs> and the next one I've been hired for to do it in a company and you know one the owner of the company came to my first workshop and he said I want everybody in my company to take this workshop because I then I don't you know it's a training on you know on cultural yes. diversity discrimination mm-hmm. sexual harassment whatever so it, it fixes you all the problems that right. you know that companies have. And well, the so you're gonna do you're gonna do public good and and say you know so are you all are you so over therapy? Do you want to say a few words about that 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 whole business that you invested in for like almost a decade? Yes, <laughs> um, <laughs> I have an <laughs> I have an opinion about therapy, which yeah. is and that is a question I always remind why the therapist don't tell you. I remember one clear session where I was. Going around, I knew there was a door out, and you saw me walking around, and you were asking me questions, so I will discover the door. But you never told me what was the answer was. And I really, I remember that. And, you know, mm-hmm. and it was, I don't know what to think about it. But, you know, I understood that that was the technique that you were using. You know, I had to discover the door by myself. And I... And that uh, was I don't not think helpful. That useful. Yeah, it didn't mm-hmm. help me. Um, I, you okay. know, I, what it helped me was a friend who told me, "You are acting like a victim, and you know you have to discover why you're doing it." Yeah. So, what do you mean? Yes, this is a victim. You're playing like a victim, and it, I, it hurt me a lot. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. We have about three minutes left. You're raising a really, really good point about the whole psychotherapy tradition and it's something that I have struggled with that session you mentioned happened what 
15, 13 years ago. And, oh, thank the fuck God, I have learned a little bit since then. <laughs> and and at some point, maybe later um, in, in, in the show, I will take up that, that question, you know, about what happens in therapy, what therapy is for, and who needs therapy. Um, but we are unfortunately uh, coming to a close. And... Um, by the way, of, of thanking you, Julian, for coming and, and, and talking to me and of telling you about what I feel about you and what I have learned, I want to share with you, Julian, and all of you out there, uh, my one of my favorite poems, okay, by one of my favorite uh, poets is uh, Raina Maria Rilke. And it was a poem about, I think it's called The Bell of Darkness or something like that. And it said... Um, Quiet friend who has come so far, feel how your breathing makes more space around you. Let this darkness be a bell tower and you the bell. As you ring, what batters you becomes your strength. Move back and forth into the change. What is it like such intensity of pain? If the drink is bitter, turn yourself to wine. In this uncontainable night, be the mystery at the crossroads of your senses, the meaning discovered there. And if the world has ceased to hear you, say to the silent earth, I flow. To the rushing water, speak, I am. I hope to see you again, Julian. And for all of you, uh, next week I will be joined by another guest, Jeffrey Deskovich, who is the founder of the Deskovich uh, Foundation for Justice, uh, who, which is dedicated to help the wrongfully uh, convicted uh, to gain freedom. I want to have a conversation with him because uh, prison reform is a very dear, dear cause to my heart right now. So it will be a good conversation about what's going on with the criminal justice system. But Jeffrey also has gone through his own journey. Um, he was convicted uh, for a rape and murder of a classmate when he was 16 and served about 16 years for a crime that he did not did not commit. So um, I want to have a conversation with him about his advocacy work right now, but also about his own effort to come back and be human. Goodbye for now. See you next week. Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.